Welcome to the 21st episode of the official SBGAN podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely. Welcome everybody to the SBGAN podcast series. Alex Nicely here, speaking with Valerie McLean of Geneva, Switzerland. Professor McLean is a hepatologist of some repute. She has worked on both sides of the Atlantic, taking her medical training in Geneva, and then across to Cincinnati, Bill Balistrieri's program in uh, hepatology training, and then for a while down in Houston. She might have thought of staying in Houston. It's not a bad place, but there are no mountains. There's no skiing. (laughs) There's no proper chocolate. And so she came back to Geneva where she has built her career. Her career has, to judge by her CV, encompassed most everything, but a particular interest that we hope to discuss today is that of vascular malformations, portosystemic shunts in particular, outside the liver and within the liver. What do they do to the child who has one? How are they manifest? What can be done or should be done? about them? How can they be recognized earlier than they are at the moment? With that in mind then, uh, Valerie, welcome. Lovely to have you here. It's lovely to be here with you, Alex. Thank you very much for this invitation and opportunity. What would you like to tell the folks who are listening? How many portosystemic shunts go unrecognized too long? That's an excellent question. Um, To the best of our knowledge, based on studies looking at newborn screening for galactosemia, uh, the estimated frequency is 1 in 30,000 to 1 in 50,000 live births. Now that's not exactly answering your question. Um, I think we're at a crossroads right now we're still seeing kids present with symptomatic shunts, and I I can go into more of that later, Um, but through amazing imaging during gestation, so through the obstetricians, um, we're seeing kids earlier and earlier. So I'm gonna do what Dr. Balistrieri used to say, and that's start with the end in mind, um, to say that hopefully this plumbing problem will no longer be associated with severe systemic complications in one generation's time, hopefully, um, because the obstetricians will detect them early. You have to excuse me. I'm, I'm ignorant. How did you manage to get from galactosemia testing to shunt prevalence? So one of the ways that shunts present is through elevated galactose on a newborn screen. And it is thought that this is because of portosystemic bypass, that the galactose that should be broken down by the liver is not, and therefore leads to a false positive. Where the enzymatic assay is normal, but the blood galactose is slightly elevated. That is a lovely way to pick up a potentially serious problem before it causes 
potentially serious complications. Thank you for that. Well, but how many actually are picked up by an astute metabolic physician who says, hey, we had a false positive here. What's going on? It would be hard to give you numbers, but indeed, metabolicians now are increasingly aware of congenital portosystemic shunts. And in the case where it's just the galactose that's elevated, but the enzymatic activity is normal, then they do recommend a Doppler ultrasound to look for one of these congenital portosystemic shunts. You say one of these. We've got a number of different kinds of portosystemic shunts, that sounds as if. Yeah, thanks for the question. There's basically two varieties. There's the intrahepatic shunts, so that's typically between a portal vein branch and a hepatic vein, or the extrahepatic shunts, and that will be usually upstream from the portal vein or between the portal vein and the vena cava. So there's the intrahepatic and the extrahepatic. Which of those is what used to be called, is still is called, the Abernathy malformation? Extrahepatic. Extrahepatic. Okay. Yes, yeah, so the Abernathy malformation is either an end-to-side or a side-to-side -side communication between the portal vein and the vena cava. And that's the one that used to be thought of as absence of the portal vein, isn't it? Correct. But we now know that these patients do have a portal vein. And the way to make that obvious is to do what's called an occlusion test, where the interventional radiologist, so it's basically an angiogram, mm -hmm. and where you occlude the shunt, and therefore the contrast then goes into the liver. And so you can document that there is an intrahepatic portal tree. Is that intrahepatic portal tree able to grow? Another great question to which we don't have all the answers um, and there's probably, the, the answer is probably yes and no. Um, some of these intrahepatic portal trees in patients with large extrahepatic shunts can be very dysplastic or very thin. Um, and that raises the question, the chicken and egg question basically is that, is this a vasculopathy affecting both the extrahepatic vasculature and the intrahepatic vasculature or did the shunt remain permeable or did it did the shunt arise because of increased intrahepatic resistance then there's those patients who have a beautiful regular intrahepatic portal tree which is probably auspicious then for a nice uh, development and ramification after shunt closure um, my dear colleague, Dr. Stéphanie Franchiabella in Paris, who's a really experienced radiologist in the field of congenital portosystemic shunts, believes that the younger the patient, the more plastic the tree, um, and that therefore, yes, these vascular trees can develop uh, when they receive proper portal flow. I came to a particular interest in intrahepatic shunts because of what used to be called neonatal hemochromatosis, which is to say if you have antenatal inflammation and injury of the liver, then you have a pop-off valve in the form of the ductus venosus, and blood need not flow through the lobule. As a result, the hepatectomy or liver biopsy specimens that I was receiving 
showed a marked paucity of draining venules. They had been obliterated, effectively, because there just wasn't any flow getting to them. So that's a possible downstream sequela of intrahepatic protosystemic shunting that needs to be thought of or assessed, or am I going too far with that comment? No, I think that's a great question, and it joins this business of the chicken and egg story. Are we seeing, is there a vasculopathy, or is it what we used to learn in biology class, form and function? So if it's not being used, then it's not being developed. Um, more typically, we think of a lot of in the biopsies that I've seen and that we discuss in our in our clinical case conferences, this, this and I feel like I'm walking on eggshells here because you're the histopathologist. But what we see more typically are very very small portal vein branches. Yes, hypoplasia. And, right, and an overdeveloped lymphatic uh, vasculature. Suggesting portal hypertension, at least to me. But is it portal hypertension, or is it a compensatory mechanism, or what does what does the intrahepatic lymphatics need to develop? Does it need a portal signal to be, what? or if you remove the portal signal, do those lymphatics develop? It's it's very intriguing, I think, in terms of sort of developmental biology. We could say the same thing about the ductal plate malformation, in which portal vein portal, peripheral portal venous radical hypoplasia is part and parcel of a complex malformation that involves increased fibrous tissue and too many bile ducts and misshapen bile ducts. And it just goes on from there. And I am so happy to be approaching retirement and not to worry my head about these things anymore, but I'm glad that you're continuing the worrying. <laughs> These don't always, though, come to attention from the work of an alert sonographer or of a metabolic specialist. Sometimes they show up as a child who's just not right, and there are so many ways that that kid can be just not right. Give us some anecdotes. You're good at anecdotes. So... Kids can be detected in any number of ways, and it's not just metabolicians. So the astute metabolician in the newborn period will react to an abnormal galactosemia screen, but the other ways the patients can come to us is, for example, through oncology, because they hmm. have liver nodules. Um, because in the absence of portal flow, nodules in the liver seem to proliferate in all sorts and varieties, which you know more about. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's one mode of presentation. Recently, we had a young girl, 10 or 11 years old, who um, had delayed puberty and accelerated linear growth. So there's the hormonal presentation the other very threatening presentation is pulmonary hypertension. So Go it's on. the yeah. equivalent of portopulmonary hypertension, which is known in cirrhosis, except here you don't have cirrhosis, you just have liver bypass. 
And that's the trickiest one um, and the most life-threatening one probably because after shunt closure, and we'll get to management I'm sure in a little bit, um, it's the one that is least likely to disappear. Right. Now we need to talk about the end. What should the alert endocrinologist know about a child who's too tall or sexually dismature or maybe not cognitively 100%? Thank you for highlighting that. That's actually a very important um, mode of presentation is unexplained cognitive uh, difficulties or, or developmental delay. But of course, when I say this to the neurologist, they say, well, we can't ultrasound, Doppler ultrasound every single one of our patients we see for this presentation. Um, and I think that's a matter that's open for debate. Um, but back to your initial question about the endocrinologist, I think that portosystemic bypass shows how big an endocrine role the liver has and that perhaps this is something um, not to be forgotten in, in endocrine circles. So the bottom line is that in these unexplained um, situations, probably obtaining a Doppler ultrasound of the abdomen is, is useful. What more, when there's a constellation of symptoms that go, that don't seem to make sense together. So for example, this young girl I told you about, she also had a huge liver adenoma and then she was found to have pulmonary hypertension. So these, if, if you can't fit everything under one hat, I would argue, look for a congenital portosystemic shunt. Dysmorphology and dysfunction of this sort sometimes, sometimes come first to the geneticists. How good are they at picking up these shunts? With the exception of Turner syndrome, which I think all of us know for some years now, conduces to vascular malformations at a lot of places, including the liver. So the geneticists right now are, we, we work in our, in our research group, we work with two geneticists who believe firmly that there is an underlying uh, genetic mechanism, although it hasn't been identified yet. Um, I'm not sure the geneticists are the biggest contributors because congenital portosystemic shunts have been associated with so many syndromes mm -hmm. um, that in a patient with a congenital portosystemic shunt, if you perform whole exome sequencing, you're more likely to identify one of the mutations of one of those syndromes than a causal gene telling sure, you why sure. the patient has, so it's the other way around. Okay. Well, then let's move on to the cardiologist's opportunities to identify such problems. These kids not infrequently have uh, cardiac malformative disease, do they not? Indeed. In those patients uh, with cardiac malformations, there is a higher incidence of congenital portosystemic shunts. Um, Virginie Lambert from Paris showed that in a recent publication that um, patients with congenital heart disease may have as much as 10% or 15% of congenital portosystemic shunts, um, which, of course, given the hemodynamics, um, makes the prospect of closing the shunt sometimes more challenging. 
Um, so yes, the the cardiologists have a double role in these in these patients. First, of looking for the malformation when they have a patient with a congenital heart defect, and second, managing the patient um, in case of pulmonary hypertension. So you have to be aware that this diagnosis can come at you from any side. How often are you as a hepatogastroenterologist the first person to pick this up? Hmm, How often do they... I've encountered rarely instances of small bowel biopsy showing what looked like a blood-filled sponge because of a focal... a bowel wall hyperemia and portal hypertension limited to a certain part of the gut. Boy, that had us all puzzled. Uh, But again, Doppler studies, after we suggested that portal hypertension might underlie the gastrointestinal hemorrhage that had been tracked, um, it found uh, an intrahepatic portosystemic shunt, which was, if I remember correctly, resolved by partial hepatic resection. Which brings us then to the question of hepatic resection, um, crazy glue into a vessel. What do we do? So it really depends on the type of shunt and the anatomy. Um, Some of the intrahepatic shunts, it seems, probably close within the first year or two of life. The extrahepatic shunts, on the other hand, are much less likely to close spontaneously and are probably those that are associated with the most severe extrahepatic complications. So there's clinically the most interesting and challenging. The balloon occlusion test that I was telling you about before is is a, a key factor in determining the management because it's gonna show you the anatomy of the shunt. Um, And depending on the length and width of the shunt, it may be amenable to endovascular closure Mm -hmm. through the very talented uh, interventional radiologists. Um, And in some instances, when it's a side-to-side, there's not enough length to to place one of these amplots or devices. Um, Sometimes they can use occluder devices for septal defects, but usually these are patients who have to undergo a surgical closure. But the endovascular approach is by far the preferred method uh, these days. What are some of the complications of endovascular closure if the portal venous system should, in effect, be overwhelmed by blood Mm -hmm. flow to which it's not adapted? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's acute complications and then there's more medium to long-term consequences. The acute ones, of course, are acute portal hypertension. And so that's ascites. Um, And then the dreaded acute complication is extension of the thrombosis. So all of these patients, adults and children, benefit from uh, prophylactic anticoagulation. In other words, to limit the thrombus right at the site of the occlusion, and you don't want it extending into the mesenteric uh, vessels. Mm -hmm. So those are the acute complications. And then the third dreaded acute complication is migration of the device, um, which can migrate into the pulmonary artery. And that is something that is dreaded. 
For very good reasons, to be sure. <laughs> well, there's a lot of options then, depending on what you would like to uh, you would like to go back. Did you want to hear the chronic complications? <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, do you know? I've jumped in ahead of you when I shouldn't have done. We can keep right on going with the podcast. Yeah, tell us about the chronic complications, huh? Okay, and then you can cut and paste as you see fit. No, oh, we, just... won't, we won't cut and paste a single thing. <laughs> this is real-life podcasting. Um, yeah, the, the long-term complications are transformation, uh, sort of cavernous transformation of the portal vein. Right, uh, right. And and secondary portal hypertension. I think what's important to emphasize is that most of these shunts are not high pressure, right? These are low pressure uh -huh, malformations. Uh -huh, and very uh -huh. rarely do you find a situation like the one you described where it's associated with some degree or with focal mesenteric or, or portal hypertension. But more commonly, they're low pressure. And you, by closing it, you can transform it into high resistance, high pressure. Um, which can be problematic in the management and, and alter the course of, of medical and surgical management long-term. So anyway, that said, over to you, Alex. Uh, where were we? <laughs> so a lot of options, a lot of options and a lot of choices to be made. And with a disorder that's frankly uncommon, at least as you sketched it, at least as we know it at the moment, how does someone encountering one of these problems arrange for consultative or patient transfer best management? Tell us about the conference that you hold. So there's different ways we're trying to put together. When I say we, it's the International Registry of Congenital Portal Stomach Shunts, which is a multidisciplinary international effort to uh, collect as many cases as possible to try to have a better understanding of which shunts close spontaneously, which need closure, who develops complications, and who doesn't. Those are the main goals uh, of, the, of the registry. So there's two ways to uh, get access to care. I would say one is um, through our nascent website where we try to refer patients and families, it's really a family-oriented website, to the center nearest to them, so in their country with the expertise. We're, all of us are accessible via email to answer questions um, and to welcome patients if, if appropriate. Um, and the other way to discuss these cases is to reach out to us, again, through contact information, either on the website or through conferences um, to participate in our monthly uh, virtual teleconferences where pati patients and cases are uh, discussed in a multidisciplinary fashion with cardiologists if need be, histopathologists, of course there's always a radiologist involved um, to try to help with management uh, in centers perhaps who have less experience. I think that's, again, just part of the reaching out, border across border, nation to nation, colleague to colleague, that SBGAN has as part of its mission. And I'm glad to hear this is being actualized. But for those podcast listeners who aren't actually driving a car or don't have their hands deep into a pot of mincemeat, um, 
could you just give us that web address for the nascent site so that they can s scratch it down, have it available? Sure, it's www.ircpss.com. IRCPSS. International Registry of Congenital Portosystemic Shunts. Well, when you put it all out like that, that's a reasonable acronym, isn't it? IRCPSS.com. All right. Well, we're getting somewhere there. <clears throat> now, you sent two articles about this subject to me, and I did a little bit of digging around those articles. And back 10 years ago, you published a mouse model of congenital portosystemic shunts. We're talking about genetics here in humans. Uh, what did you find when you dug into that mouse model? What were the genetic consequences? What were the genetic mechanisms there? So we don't have an answer to that because the, the mouse model was in fact not a model. It was an accidental finding. Ooh. That was okay. independent of genetic background. Ooh. Um, and I did approach one of our current shunt geneticists um, to ask him what he thought of this. And he said that in so far as they were in so many different genetic backgrounds, um, it would be very hard. And we never, so we never mated them like two shunt mice together because these were experimental mice who were being were, were undergoing MR spectroscopy for different reasons. Um, but we found that they had abnormal neurometabolic profiles compatible with hepatic encephalopathy. And that's how we put the pieces of the puzzle together. So mice that behaved funny and that had abnormal biochemical profiles, suggesting that substances were present in a manner that indicated a failure of hepatic clearance. Exactly. Which, I, which is, if I understand right, the reason that some kids are too tall and some kids don't mature sexually is that the liver is not doing its job of mopping up um, endocrine debris. Or feedback loops are not happening. It sounds as if there's an awful lot to keep looking at. This, this is going to keep you busy till retirement, isn't it? Uh, she's nodding vigorously for those of you who can't see the screen. Um, here we are then. We've come to a sort of close here. We've addressed what kinds of shunts there are, what some of their consequences are, how they can be identified, what can be done about them, and how people who are confronted with a patient with such a shunt can obtain counseling, really, on with the resources available to them in different parts of the Espigan audience, can optimize their patient's treatment. Um, I would call that a good day's work, wouldn't you? But, oh, no, 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 there's something else. You had a symposium recently in July of this year. And I think that one of the recommendations from that symposium, if I remember the proceedings correctly, is that all these shunts should be closed, full stop, if possible, because of the risk of complications of 
the risk of the complications that may develop. Have I summed that up correctly? Yes, thank you for summarizing that because that is indeed an important message is that to the best of our understanding today in 2022, certainly those that do not close before the age of two should be, should be closed. Speaking as someone reared in the United States, I would be very surprised if somebody with Dr. McLean's background, Swiss mother, United States father, were not to choose as the song that sums up her experience and that shows a little bit of her nationality, her background, were not climb every mountain. Something from Sound of Music, anyhow. <laughs> but maybe she's found something else for us. I did play on the binational front, but um, actually found some things a little bit more esoteric. I thought I would introduce you to Erika Stucki, who is a Swiss artist, um, but in her in her album called, and I thought that you would find this funny, Suicidal Yodels. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny. It's not she, Julie Andrews, is it? <laughs> she has a wonderful she has a wonderful version of Blueberry Hill that mixes Swiss yodeling with bluegrass. So that brings together my two origins. Well, if if that isn't an example of hybrid vigor, I don't know what is. like to listen to the song in full length, please check out our SBGAN playlist. Valerie, thank you so much for this opportunity to chat. I have enjoyed it absolutely, and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. <laughs>